Hey, before we get started here, we want to let you in on two big events you do not want to miss. The first one is Senior Living 100. Bridge the Gap is going to have their studio set up, interviewing influencers and bringing you more great stories and insights from the senior living industry. And right after that, March 23rd in Dallas, those of you attending the Nick event, or if you just want to hang out with senior living influencers in Dallas, join us. BTG is throwing the senior living after party with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and two awesome bands you don't want to miss. Check the show notes for links to RSVP to these events and find out more information. We hope to see you there. You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 5, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. This season is powered by sponsors AccuShield, Inquire, One Day, LTC REIT, It's Never Too Late, Meridian Capital, Salinity, and the Bridge Group Construction. This, more than anything, this demonstrated to me how powerful staff training is, um, not only in teaching people what to do, but also how to think. The, the circumstances in something like a fire change constantly. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the Senior Living Podcast with Josh and Lucas. A great topic on today about disaster and emergency preparedness with a really great rock star in the industry. We want to welcome Michelle Siepel. She's the Executive Director at Balfour Senior Living out of Boulder, Colorado, and has an incredible story that you're about to hear. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. You know, Michelle, uh, any, you know, a lot of our followers are very active on LinkedIn. And as I was doing my uh, very frequent scrolling and looking and reading and engaging with people, we saw your story about the evacuation that took place from the Colorado fires. And you were just so transparent and willing to uh, go into detail around the emotional process, um, the, the, just the actual process and the details around that. And I really feel like that it is something that our industry as a whole could really learn from, um, so many different executive directors and teams have been faced with power outages, hurricanes, flash floods, tornadoes, fires. Um, and if anybody is listening and has gone through that, they know it is a major ordeal. We're dealing with a very, uh, you know, a, a frail population, right? Depending on the, their, their level of acuity. Um, but these are our older adults and it's not as easy as, hey, everybody get out, <laughs> right? So Michelle, tell us about that day. Run us through some of the timelines and the things that you were faced with when you knew that there may be a problem brewing with these fires and you might have to evacuate your community. Absolutely. Uh, on the morning of December 30th, um, I uh, woke up and, and started my day kind of as I always do. And um, as I was leaving the house, I noticed that um, my neighborhood my neighborhood was kind of in turmoil. There was just, you know, people's lawn furniture was blowing out into the streets and stuff like that. And so you, I kind of started the day thinking, huh, this is strange amount of wind, but you never sort of expected everything else that would transpire to, to take place. Um, but around 1030 that morning, uh, we began to smell fire and smoke in the area. And it was kind of a, a campfire smell, which was strangely reassuring. But um, we uh, started to get texts from some of our hospice partners and, and people who are more, you know, more traveling in our general area uh, regarding a fire about three miles to the southeast of us. And um, 
So we begin to follow it in our in our minds. We we um, always want to make sure that we're prepared. But over the course of the morning, um, we began to see more smoke, smell more smoke, and probably about 60 minutes after that initial um, smell of smoke, um, we began to hear that the fire was starting to jump. Um, I pulled together our management team and a couple of our key players at around 11:30 that morning and said. You know, let's pull. You know, let's pull out our our disaster plan and just activate it. Um, the worst thing that happens is we have a great practice today. The the best thing that happens is is we're we're ready to go. Um, so we began to just just make our plan. Um, you know, we we divided and conquered our. You know, everyone sort of understood that um, at that moment safety was going to be the important thing. So our life enrichment team really took the task of making sure our residents were engaged through that very seriously so that our care partners could focus on packing everyone and making sure they have what they need. Um, communication became very difficult very quickly. Um, over the course of the morning, I put together um, four different um, notifications to our families. And every time I was about to press send, the circumstances would change. So it wasn't until about 2.30 in the afternoon that we got the official evacuation order. Um, but we are part of a campus of 400 residents, over 400 residents. So it was actually coordinating um, an evacuation over five different levels of care. So it oh was uh, pretty intense. So, so your community is a CCRC? Um, I operate the memory care of our um, large campus, but we have an independent living, um, an assisted living, and then an assisted living skilled nursing combination building on the on the main campus. And my community is about three miles away to the south, closer to where the fire started. I see. I see. So, um, you know, this is not a 40 bed AL, you know, this is, uh, you know, a massive movement that needs to take place and sounds like a lot of coordination and especially for you in memory care extra challenges took place what was what was the emotions like when the official evacuation came in did you find that you really moved into kind of like a a fight or flight like fighter leader mode or was it kind of a panic (laughs) you know i felt very calm um, as far as our staff, it was definitely, um, you know, the, the biggest thing in, in our industry, I think, is always communication and culture. Um, you know, for with our staff, I think it's, you know, we have to remember that they have two different aspects of, of life that they're that they're maintaining, and that's their personal lives and obviously caring about these residents that they all love. And, and I, I will say, obviously, working in memory care. I think you see the best of caregivers in, in loving those residents, which is great. But over the course of the morning, as people are beginning to worry about their house that's closer to the fire or, or something like that, I think there was some high emotions with our staff um, initially. Um, as we really developed our plan, it allowed us all to kind of focus on what was important. I really didn't see any breaks in emotion until we had we were actually putting the last few residents on the bus and we were seeing those flames within three to 500 feet of our front door was really when the staff started to say, oh my goodness, I can't believe we did this. Um, so it was definitely an emotional day, but I, I will say, you know, we all kind of reached a different place where we just have to, you know, we have to go into go mode and it's it's hard to focus on your own emotions in that moment. So I found myself, um, actually the reason I wrote the, the piece for LinkedIn was to kind of process that after a week because it was uh, really 24 hour days for the first the first several days. And when you're at that level of exhaustion and 
looking at the people around you starting to have challenges as they're processing it themselves. Um, that mama bear instinct and you sort of comes out and you, you know, you, you need to process it yourself. So. Oh my gosh. So Michelle, one of the things we were talking about right before we hit record, um, is you and I both, um, you know, previously have been through major hurricane evacuations and that is traumatic. There's so much that goes into that for our listeners that may have never had to evacuate for anything. It's always, um, such an intense experience. What, um, you know, I think of immediately, typically with a hurricane, you've got some warning, like, right. You're seeing it coming kind of for days and then you realize, wow, you might be in the direct path. So you, it's not like a panicked rush. It's intense, but you have some time. You had literally just hours and minutes from the time you figured out, oh my gosh, we've got to go to you're out of there. Can you compare and contrast a little bit of the difference of like hurricane evacuation versus this experience? Absolutely. Um, I would definitely, um, I would definitely agree with you as far as the, um, the ease on your mind with the ability to prepare. It's certainly, um, interestingly, I think it, it's hard and with the hurricanes, you feel a little bit like you're waiting for the band-aid, whereas with the fire, the band-aid is off and you're just rolling. Um, I think from the emotional preparedness side, the hurricane's almost harder because you have people in that constant projection mode instead of, we gotta do this. Um, so I think um, from the preparedness standpoint, the hurricanes were obviously a lot easier to manage, but um, the emotional side was harder. Here, um, you know, it really, um, you know, on the emotional side, like I said, we, we didn't really have the opportunity, the luxury of indulging in those emotions, but um, on the preparedness side, I have to say, um, it really is the reason that you want to have those drills. Um, there are, our, our days are so busy between building census, dealing with families, making sure we're communicating. Um, sometimes staff training can feel like the thing that needs to fall to the wayside. And truthfully, this more than anything, this demonstrated to me how powerful staff training is, um, not only in teaching people what to do, but also how to think. Um, the, the circumstances in something like a fire change constantly, um, whether it's transportation changing. In our case, because of the timing of the fire and where they were putting barricades up, we actually couldn't get our second shift to the community. So um, again, it's you know, leveraging those relationships, making sure that you've built a culture where people want to be there for you and be there for those residents. And so it really is kind of a holistic picture of, you know, making sure that your culture is healthy, but also making sure that your training and your preparedness are healthy. So um, I have to say, um, I, I said it to my, my co-executive directors on our campus. Um, we had a, a Teams call um, during the course of the morning and, and kept that call open throughout the time that we were evacuating so that if we all needed to run back and just shout something to say, I'm having this issue, can somebody work on this for me? Um, we were able to do so, but truthfully, after all of that, um, as much as there's changing circumstances and there's and there's um, the ability to look back and realize ways that you could be prepared, you also need to look back at your team and say, we got everyone out. So in that regard, I give us 100%. So um, gotta make sure you celebrate. Well, and this is, um, I think, such an awesome opportunity um, and a great example of uh, the teamwork, the culture that you guys have, the training and the preparation that 
you had been doing and through a bad situation, um, how much good can come from this? Because I just think of now the opportunity and obviously you're already taking the opportunities to educate others on one, what this experience is like, what you can focus on. So now that you've not had much time, I think it's just a little over a month here. You probably haven't slept much in the last uh, 30 to 45 days, but, <laughs> but what? than what I did a startup, but this is a close second. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say are some of the key takeaways that you would want to communicate to people as they are planning and prepping some of the things that you learned that maybe we don't often think of in practice time, but that really focus on these kind of things as you're going through those drills and making your plans and preparations. Is there anything that comes to mind? Definitely. I would say one major thing would be, as I indicated a little bit before, teaching people how to think. Um, my counterpart, Becky Seamers, who operates our um, combinations, skilled nursing, assisted living, um, uh, really made um, gave some great examples in her community, but I, I have a pretty similar practice with my with my staff. You know, rather than just talking about what we do, we talk about what goes wrong during the course of these different emergencies, whether it's, you know, the, like we talked about transportation changing or, um, you know, key community systems going offline and stuff like that. Um, it really is about teaching people how to think through those situations, but also expressing confidence in them so that they feel ready to make those decisions. You know, the reality is we can always talk after a decision about ways that we can improve that. But the reality is if you help people think about, you know, what they would do and, and you know, help to, you know, facilitate those lines of thinking, you really do find that people grow confident and you help to build them into future leaders that can, can do this as well. And that's one of my favorite parts of my job. So that's definitely one major thing. I think the other thing is, is definitely more of a long, a long-term thing. And that's um, the importance of communication with your families. Um, during the course of all of, you know, the fire starting and um, emergency services um, beginning to issue alerts, the phone begins to ring and um, your phone is always busy in your community. But at that point, you have regulatory agencies, other communities and families all calling at the same time to try to find out what's going on. And everybody deserves that information. So um, for us, it was making sure that we had really good messaging going out. Um, you know, I met with my receptionist who was outstanding and just said, you know, these are the points we want to make. Um, this is where we're headed. We'd love to have families meet us there and, you know, kind of here are the main things. Um, I also followed that up with um, an email, um, you know, just a simple email that says, hey, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. More to come. And it at least gives families something to hold on to. Um, and then after we were all at our first location and safe, I did the same thing. And I continued with a daily email or video call where I invited all of our families to join us every day until we were back home and, and safe at the community. And the feedback that I got from families just knowing what's going on, where people are, how they're doing, you know, what we're working on that day. You know, one day I, I went out and bought a whole bunch of hair stuff and we just had like a, a, a manicure and hair day just to kind of get some normal and some, and some fun back. And for families to see those pictures and go, okay, my mom isn't at home, but she's, she's doing okay. Um, it, it's the little things that become the big things in those moments. You know, they can overlook the fact that you've had to buy three toothbrushes this week because 
they know that the big stuff is taken care of. So I think communication is definitely um, something that I think is so critical and that our families are really looking for throughout that. And just as regularly as possible is, is really key. You know, I am always amazed in these crisis situations um, like what you've been through um, the hurricanes or maybe tornado damages. It's amazing to me because the commitment level of the teams um, to stay, even though sometimes they don't even know what is going on, because I imagine your team all lived in this area of danger as well. And who knows, I'm, I'm hopefully not, but some of them probably lost some things or had friends and family impacted. Sometimes they don't even know what's going on with their own family and they're sitting there providing care to others just very selflessly. And I know that's part of this kind of hero story. You're part of that hero story. What is that like now? Uh, you're, oh, I guess, over 30 days, 45 days or so past this. What's it like when you're faced with, oh my gosh, now we've got to get people back to the community. Um, is that a really difficult process to gather things back and then get back into the community? You know, um, from the, you know, on the kind of process side, um, it's challenging in that there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of T's to cross and I's to dot and, you know, making sure that life safety approves you, you know, getting back into your community and, um, and really making sure that the community is ready to receive people. You know, for example, we sustained minimal property damage, but um, to go through the community because our lobby was open for, you know, three hours while we were evacuating residents, the next day, the amount of soot that you encounter, you know, um, in the windowsills and in strange places in the community and, and, you know, the filters that need to be changed and all the stuff that you need to make sure is ready to repopulate um, is definitely challenging. On the emotional side, it's, you know, really for, I think for anyone, but definitely um, providing, you know, providing to the line of care that I do in memory care, it really is a, a, you have to assess your, your resident population and your team population and make smart decisions. Um, we ultimately had to evacuate to, um, in kind of stages, our first stage was to go to a sister community in Longmont where we were able to find placement for all of our residents. Um, and then we, in the middle of the night, had to coordinate transportation and staffing to be deployed to those three different locations. And then ultimately, um, we were very lucky in that our skilled nursing unit actually at our, on our main campus actually had a vacant second floor that had been shuttered and we were able to move all of our residents to be back together. And our building was actually ready for repopulation um, probably almost a week before we ultimately chose to pull the trigger to go back. And really the reason behind that was that we saw so many trauma response behaviors in our residents that we felt the need to give them a sense of normal before we brought them back to their home. And so for us, we saw um, a great deal of behaviors, um, you know, elevated temperatures without explanation, um, residents who would sleep, you know, in that first week after the fire for 14 or 15 hours a day, um, you know, past recollection of tra traumatic events and stuff like that. So it definitely, um, the way that we cared for our residents definitely had to change. There was certain, you know, certain speeches that I, I probably gave a hundred times a day to one resident um, throughout that period because that was what they needed to hear. Um, but genuinely, um, 
those were the moments that pulled us back together. So over the course of that, that week that we decided to stay together in one place, um, it allowed us to put together um, some resources for both our residents and our staff to make sure that returning would be triumphant. And then we planned just an amazing day for them to come back to. We had a surf and turf filet mignon dinner and, and beautiful entertainment. And our entire sales team came and made sure that there was flyers and kind of that sense of triumph rather than you know, coming back to something that was hard for our residents. So um, it's definitely worth that extra time to make sure that your residents are okay, your staff has had some rest and that that you're ready to do it the right way. Um, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes because moments like this are, you feel that need to get back to normal as soon as possible, but sometimes you, you need to just let yourself and your team and your residents settle a little bit. Oh, wow. Such good information. And Lucas, I know you um, work hand in hand really closely and see this. Um, I think last year, even you you were part of some major uh, crisis with the Texas ice storms and so forth. So she's speaking a language you're very familiar with. I've been in the middle of more than I can count. And, you know, really the whole country in one shape, form, or fashion, uh, you know, it may not be hurricanes, obviously, in the in the Northeast or, you know, in the in the in the mountainous areas, but it's going to be fires, it's going to be power outages, it's going to be floods, it's going to be something senior living communities face every season, every year, and uh, this is great information uh, for us to talk about, Michelle, your story and sharing this. Um, is going to help. You know, it's a, this is something that needs to be talked about. And as we're about to enter into uh, different seeds, different seasons coming out of winter and into spring and into summer, there's many things that people need to be looking at as far as their emergency preparedness. So this is a great conversation to help that. We know that um, your story is going to be shared here on the Bridge of Gap Network, but you're also going to be featured as a speaker, I believe, for the Colorado Assisted Living Association as well, correct? Uh, joint coalition between the Colorado, Colorado, Arizona, and Utah healthcare associations. Um, so we'll be heading down to Phoenix in March um, with my counterpart Becky from our um, skilled and assisted living community, and um, we'll be. She is um, actually helping to rewrite our policies on emergency preparedness, and I'll be working with her on that as well. So we're excited to kind of take what we've learned onto the road, and and obviously apply it here at Balfour as well. Wonderful. Great information. So to any of our listeners that are going to be a part of that, make sure you connect with Michelle. And for uh, our listeners that aren't going to be there, we'll make sure we connect with Michelle in our show notes and connect to the story that she wrote. Make sure you friend her on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, I'm sure that she'd be more than happy to help out. Great conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing today. No problem. Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG Network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.